the Taylor family was so excited to move into their, their new home out in the country. But technically, technically, it wasn't their home yet. About 24 hours later, it would be. But the seller gave the family permission to come out to the property and even camp there. But that night, they, they allowed them to, to go through the house. And, you know, the, 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 you know, Taylor signed a waiver and all that sort of stuff. But when they brought their kids into their new home, the kids ran all over the house claiming, this room is my room. No, this room's my room is better than yours. And they absolutely loved their new home and were so excited. And, and then they, they, they went outside and they, they're going to leave the front door open because no one's around. So in case in the middle of the night, someone needed to use the restroom, it was there. But they went out there and they put up their tents and, and uh, you know, kind of got ready. But then they saw, our home has our own fire pit. And dad goes, that's right. And he brings out the wood and the kindling and, and they're gathered around and a little four-year-old Colton is looking at his dad and sees the lighter in his hand and, and he pulls the trigger and clicks the button and a flame comes out and, and then went and lit the, the newspaper and the fire started roaring. And little Colton was just mesmerized by that lighter and he said, daddy, can I, can I play with the lighter? Colton, no, son. Um, you see, the fire in the fire pit is safe. But if a fire gets outside of the fire pit, it is dangerous. So you're too young to play with the lighter. And dad got up and went into his tent and put the lighter away. But Colton watched every move of his dad. Then the s'mores came out and they were, you know, just enjoying the time. They kept thinking about their new house and, and tomorrow's going to be theirs and moving in and, and how fun it is to camp in our own backyard with our own fire pit. Then the time came, they said, okay, now we got to get the beds ready and, and get the cots out and the sleeping bags. And, and as Colton's parents went into their tents to take care of, you know, the beds, Colton eyed mom and dad's tent and he snuck in there and he found the lighter. He's like, well, I can't light it in here. And he went out and said, well, I can't be out here with the lighter. So he saw the house and while no one was watching, he went into the front room, a front door and made his way into the garage and all by himself, he says, now I get to play with this. See, daddy pulled the trigger and and he clicked this button. He tried. He had to use two hands. And a little flame arises. And he's like, oh, this is so cool. Then he sees in a mostly empty garage in the corner with some old newspapers. And was like, well, well Daddy lit a newspaper on fire. I, I want to try that. Meanwhile, outside, Dad notices someone's not there. Colton. Colton, anybody seen Colton? And they're checking all the tents. There's no Colton. And as he came out of his tent, dad looks at the house and he sees smoke, flames. And he yells, Colton! And he runs toward the house just as he gets to the front door. Little four-year-old Colton comes out and he's scared. And he jumps into his daddy's arms and, Daddy, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. And after the fire truck finally came. 
The entire garage was destroyed as well as a quarter of the house. See, what's a father to do? And how can a father explain to a four-year-old the weight and the damage and the cost of his decision? How's a father to deal with that with a four-year-old? We'll answer that question in just a moment. Today, we are continuing our series called Steak and Potatoes as we're going through the book of Romans. It's steak and potatoes of theology. The theology simply means the study of God, and we're looking through the study of God and who he is and his truth and his judgments and, and his standards and his gospel and his grace. And this is so rich in so many different ways. And today, we're in chapter 3, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 3. Uh, when we started this series, part one was on chapter one, and it was really the ugly truth. Paul, right out of the gate, hi, I'm Paul, can't wait to meet you. I'm going to come there one day, and then he gives the ugly truth. And we talked about how, how before a cure is discussed, the disease must be addressed directly. Before a cure is discussed, the disease must be addressed directly. You don't dance around a disease. And Paul doesn't dance around the disease as mankind has violated God's moral truth, God's moral laws, and has led mankind into the darkness of depravity. And that's what happens when we walk away from God and, and, and his laws, his truths, we walk away from the light into the darkness of depravity. That was chapter one, the ugly truth. Last week was the uncomfortable truth. As Paul addresses the moralist then and in our midst today is, is that way of saying, I'm not as bad as those people. I'm actually kind of good compared to them. And when humans compare themselves to other humans, we, we usually position ourselves to look pretty good. But that doesn't, it pales in comparison to comparing ourselves to a holy God. And last week we talked about being good will never be good enough to enter heaven. Being good will never be good enough to enter heaven. So now we jo join me in chapter three, beginning in verse nine. We'll look at nine and 10 before we look at others. Paul says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one, or not even one. There is no one who is righteous. Righteous means in right standing before God. No one in their own way because of themselves are in a right standing with a holy God. No one is. doesn't matter how good you may be. So here's the central point today. Central point today is this, that Jesus died for your sins to reconcile you to God. Because of our sins, we are not in right standing with God. We are separated from God. So Jesus died for your sins, for my sins, for mankind's sins, for the purpose of reconciling us 
to God. This phrase right here is the foundational, you know, faith truth that makes Christianity what it is. Now, the resurrection seals the deal that God sent his son Jesus. He was God in the on human body and that he did this. He, he met the, the, the standards of sacrifice and he rose again, proving that he was God. But this foundational truth makes Christianity what it is. And I would say biblical Christianity. A lot of people, a lot of in churches have a definition of Christianity that's not biblical. This is the foundation, the fundamental foundation of Christianity. Now, have you ever asked yourself this question? Why did Jesus have to die to reconcile us? You ever thought about that? I mean, couldn't God come up with a non-bloody way, non-gross way to reconcile mankind. Why did Jesus have to die? If you understand the book of Colossians, talking about Jesus and who he is, that he is the creator. So then you go to Genesis chapter one, in the beginning God created by a spoken word, he created by a spoken word, the universe and the world and everything in it into existence. So why couldn't God with all the power that he has at his disposal, why couldn't he just speak forgiveness? into existence for us sinners. Be a lot cleaner. Why did it have to die? But we, we see in scripture that there were a number of times that Jesus spoke forgiveness before he died. The, the, there's a, a paralyzed man who wanted to see Jesus and the house was packed, outside of the house was packed and he couldn't get in, but he had, you know, four incredibly awesome friends that figured out a way, let's get on the roof, let's dig a hole in the roof. And he lo they lowered this paralyzed man in the presence of Jesus, completely interrupted his message. And Jesus said in the in the presence of everybody there, including religious leaders, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And that blew the minds of the religious leaders. How, how can he say that? Only God can do that. Well, Jesus spoke it and his, his man's sins were forgiven. When Jesus was out the house, uh, uh, at this house of other religious leaders and there's there's a lady of ill repute. We don't know exactly what was her background, but she was like looked down upon as one of those sinners. And, and, and the entire time Jesus was there, she is at the feet of Jesus crying and wiping her tears on the feet of Jesus. She made a scene that didn't bother Jesus at all. She irritated those religious leaders. And when he looked at her and said, woman, your sins are forgiven. That caused major problems with those religious leaders. How can he say that? Well, he spoke forgiveness into her life. On the cross, Jesus, bloodied and beaten, he looks at the Roman centurions and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He spoke forgiveness to those soldiers. Then one of the thieves believed in him and he looked and said, today you will see me in paradise. 
So why did Jesus have to die to reconcile us to God? Well, you and I value justice. Where do we get that from? We get it because we are made in the image of God. And like you and I, God values justice. We'll unpack that as we move forward. This next sense uh, or this, this comment about our justice is that our sense of justice, my sense of justice, your sense of justice is flawed. Our sense of justice is damaged and is very self-centered because we all believe in justice. I want those who have done me wrong punished. I want justice for them. I want those who have did wrong to people that I care for, I want justice to take place for them. See, you and I, we value justice. But our filter is clogged. It's flawed, it's damaged, it's self-centered. See, we judge people all the time. We come up with judgment statements, value statements, worth statements, we think certain things about people. We judge all the time and we hate it when people judge us, don't we? See, we want justice for people that did wrong to us and people that we love. But when we have done wrong, we want forgiveness and mercy. Come on now, don't we? That is flawed. That, that form of justice is damaged. If we're honest, it is very self-centered. So now there's good news, bad news that Paul writes throughout this incredible book. Look, jump over to verse 19. Here's some bad news. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, God's moral law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous, I mean, in right standing with God, in God's sight by the works of the law, by obeying the law. Rather, the law, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law shows us we fell short. We did not meet the standard. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. In the Old Testament, a picture of how we can become righteous was given. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith, not through obedience of the law, through faith and through faith in what? In Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Anybody who places their faith in Jesus can receive the righteousness of God. God is not a respecter of persons. But here's the problem. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the truth. That's the reality. Let's zero in on this verse. For all have sinned. I am looking out in a, a room filled with sinners. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sinner. 
okay? Point to me and say, Barry, you're a sinner too. Thank you. Thank you. We're all on even ground, even though I just happen to be a little higher in elevation today. We are all sinners, and we fall short of the glory of God. So what is that? What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the manifestation of the nature of God, the attributes of God. And here's the glory of God. There's just four. I mean, there's so much more. We could have a whole series on the glory of God, the attributes of God. But here's just four. God is all truth all the time. We fall short in that area. We don't speak truth all the time. We fudge the truth. We deny the truth. We completely make up a new truth to make ourselves look better or to get us out of hot water. We fall short about being all about truth all the time. God is all loving all the time. We love those who love us. We love those who are lovable. But you know that there's people that you are related to, don't point, or you work with that you just tolerate, but you don't love them. Because they're just, they're just not the lovable kind, right? We pick and choose who we love. Now with God, God loves his enemies and us all the time. We fall short with that. God is all forgiving every time. Anybody who goes to God and asks for forgiveness, every single time, God is all forgiving. And God says, I take your sins and I cast them as far as the east from the west, which means you never get there. He says, I remember, I choose to remember your sins no more. Why? Because he's forgiving, all forgiving all the time. We fall short of this. We may say, I forgive you, but we keep replaying the wrong and what they did and how they fell short with us all the time. And we talk about it to other people, we constantly bring it up, which proves that we haven't really forgiven. Why? Because we fall short of this glory of God. And God is all light all the time. There is no ounce of darkness with God. But even those of us who are believers, put our faith in Christ, we follow the light, we, we drift into the shadows and wander into darkness all the time and back in the shadows and back close to God and we do this all the time. We fall short of the glory of God. Let's continue, verse 23. Read that again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement means covering, covering of sin, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this, right? He, he had Jesus die on the cross to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. That's before Christ came. All the sin of mankind left uh, beforehand un unpunished. Verse 26, and he did it, again, the cross, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as, don't miss this, to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
Now let me unpack a couple of these incredible verses. Now, what I, I, there, there's some legal terms. Again, Paul is in Rome, the Roman law. That's the epicenter of the Roman culture. So he's given some legal phrases, legal words. Now, the couple of verses I'm going to unpack completely demolishes the, the whole concept that someone could earn their way into heaven just blows it up, demolish it, nukes it. Just there's no possible way that any person, even the best person, the goodest person, if that's the word, that's not, I'm gonna say it anyways, person ever, these verses destroy the argument that that person can stand in front of a holy, righteous God on their own merit and say, I deserve heaven. So let's unpack Verse 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all, all are justified freely by his grace through redemption that came only by Christ Jesus. Now let's break these words down. Justified. What does justified mean? Is when God declares a sinner righteous. No, play on words. It's just as if they never sinned. God is the one that declares and justifies, declares righteous. The next phrase, justifies freely. Okay, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this definition down, okay? Freely means it's free. (laughs) Some of you didn't write that down. Okay? We are declared righteous. Freely, not by ourselves, but by his what? His grace. Grace means it is undeserved and it's not earned. We are justified. We are declared righteous freely by God. And this free gift is something we cannot earn Earn and we do not deserve. It's freely by his grace through what? Redemption. Now, again, that's another legal word. Redemption means there's a payment made to release or to free. The picture in the Greek language is a slave is released or freed. But before they're released or freed, a payment has to be made. They don't walk into freedom at no cost. A payment was made. So then let's look at verse 26. He, God, did it, the cross, to demonstrate, to model, to to paint a picture of his righteousness at the present time. So as to be what? Just. Just. What is just? Why did Jesus model something of his righteousness, picture, painted a picture, a physical display of his righteousness, is just so that he can be 
just. For justice to take place, it must be just. Okay, that's the word is in the word just, uh, justice. Well, a judge is just if he is not biased, if he is not showing favoritism to those he likes. A judge is just if he's not negligent, meaning I'm just going to kind of overlook that. I'm going to look over here, not over there. And a judge is just if they're fair and not a respecter of people and positions and titles and of influence. Justice is not justice if it is not just. So Jesus demonstrated his righteousness in the present time so as to be just. Just. And the one who justifies. Justifies who declares someone righteous. Which righteous means right standing in God. Everything goes through Jesus and what he did on the cross. Everything goes through Jesus. And the one who reconciles sinners, we all have sinned and Jesus died for our sins to reconcile us to God. Everything goes through Jesus. Doesn't go through a church, doesn't go through good works, doesn't go through because you're an American, because you're a nice person. It only goes, there's only one avenue, it goes through Jesus. So let me, let me explain this just in order to justify. God is just when he calls us out as a sinner. This is for all of sins, every single one of us. He's being just. He's not being biased. He's not showing favoritism. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. He is being fair. He is being honest. He's being just by calling us out as your sinner. And there is no one righteous. No, not one. That is just. But then God goes, but I'm going to pay your price for you so he can justify us. So he's just and calling us sinners and he's able to pay for our payment in our place. Little Colton, as the fire trucks are leaving and his family's in disarray, little Colton is scared. And he's confused. Uh, he, knows he, he knows he disobeyed his daddy. He knows he, his daddy said, no, 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 don't, you're not gonna be, you're too young to play with this and it's dangerous. And he knows he did a bad thing. But at four years old, he cannot comprehend the, the weight, the, the burden, the, the cost of his disobedience. $200,000 doesn't compute to a four-year-old. So let me ask this question, who's gonna pay? The insurance company's like, we ain't paying. The seller 
is not paying, so who's gonna pay? So how, how let me ask this question again. How, how does a father explain to a four-year-old with a very limited perspective what the weight, the damage, and the cost of his disobedience? What's, what's the father to do? Is his father gonna make Colton pay it? Okay, you're gonna pay 200,000. Here's your monthly installments. Is he gonna ground him until he's 18? That's 14 years of not doing anything. Is that, is that, is that what a, a good parent would do? No, a good parent adapts to the capacity of their child. And our good heavenly father adapts this whole thing called punishment for our sins. He adapts it to our capacity because we deep down understand there must be justice, but God sees it at a whole nother level. He sees our sin and the destruction that it causes in relationships and purity and trust and everything. It just, it's a forced fire of destruction that we, is even beyond our comprehension, but to a holy God, he sees it quite clearly. So God adapts to our capacity because he's a good father. Just as Colton is guilty, he was told no and did it anyways. That's just. It's not being harsh. Yeah, but he's four years old. I'm biased. Let's give the truth. He's guilty. So his father pays it for him takes out a different loan, additional loan than his mortgage. He doesn't have the son pay it back. He pays it and justifies. It's like just as if Colton never disobeyed. So why did Jesus have to die? Because of his justice, he demanded payment. God is not gonna just overlook our sin. He's not gonna close a blind eye to it. Why? Because his justice demands payment. But don't stop there. Because of his mercy, God's mercy, he removed our owed payments. That's what mercy is. He removed what we owed for what we have done. But don't stop there. Because of his grace, he made the payment himself. Why did Jesus have to die? Because our sin is disgusting to a holy God. Our sin is so damaging to everybody in our life that our sin touches. Sin is disgusting. Other people's sin that has, you know, has spewed upon you damaged things in your life. That is why the angels met the shepherds the night that Jesus was born. At the very first Christmas, and the angel says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Messiah, our Lord. That's why Jesus came, to fulfill his justice, 
to give mercy and to bless us with his grace. The question is, have you received this gift called salvation? Have you received this gift of grace? Not because you're a good person, not because you've been in church, not because you, you, you're, you have heard this, but you've never received it. You've assumed that God's gonna say, hey, you go to church, you do this and that, you're in. No, he's just, but he came to justify you. If you have not received this gift, whether you're in the room or watching, wherever you're watching, whenever you're watching, today's your day to receive that gift. The most incredible great news to mankind. Would you close your eyes, bow your head, not looking around. Again, I never assume that everybody that's hearing this message is a follower of Jesus, has been freely justified by Jesus' death and resurrection. But if that is you today, that you need to trust in Jesus, you need to receive this free gift from right where you're sitting, wherever you are. Pray this from your heart to God. Say, God, I am a sinner. On my own merits, I am not justified. I do not have right standing with you. But by faith, I trust in Jesus who came to justify me freely by his grace, through his atonement that covered the cost and payment of my sin. So by faith, I say yes to Jesus. Be my savior. If you just prayed that prayer that has been offered freely to mankind, you have been saved from the penalty of your sin. Jesus paid it for you. If you just prayed that prayer right where you're sitting, right where you are, if you're here in this room, put your hand up. I just prayed that prayer of salvation. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, I see you. Yes. Anybody else? Real high. Yes. The whole row. Awesome. Beautiful. In the back. In the back. This is why it's so amazing. through worship today because I, I just understand as much as I possibly can understand who you are and what you did for us. That you loved us enough to take our price and pay our debt. Lord, thank you for the many who just said, I trusted Jesus for the first time. The only time they need to is by saying yes to Jesus and accepting that free gift. Oh God, help them to now learn and grow more about who you are and what you want for them in their life. Reveal yourself through them and through your word. So God, we just want to say thank you for the greatest gift ever is your salvation for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God praise for the many who have trusted Jesus Christ? around 15. God, God knows. God knows. God knows the heart. Some of you maybe trusted in Christ and you didn't want to raise your hand. But the Bible says when we trust by faith, our name is written down into his, really, his, his, his family members. 
and it, do, it doesn't have an eraser. Now, the reason why we gather is so that we continue to learn more from God's word of who he is and what he wants in our lives. So please keep coming.